0: dover calling a podcast for the historic english town of dover recorded at fort burgoyne in association with the land trust and pioneering places east kent a project funded by the national lottery heritage fund and arts council england My name's Peter Cox. I'm a writer, broadcaster, producer, sometime performer. Amongst my credits, I wrote Basil Brush's Gags for ten years, but I'm not going to do any of those today. Instead, I'm going to be talking to John Orchard here about a place close to our hearts, in this case, Dover. And by a series of coincidences, we find ourselves working on a project together at Fort Burgoyne. So, John, have you ever done anything like this podcast before? No, I haven't. Have you? No, I've done, you know, a bit of radio. I had a local radio show, but... uh... This is this is not edited. Is well, you're it? an expert then compared with me. Comparatively, I, I've yeah. never done
1: anything like this. I yeah. mean, I think the the whole idea of doing a podcast it's kind of gradually dawned on us, really, is not it? As this this project has gone. It's on.
0: a it's a it's a good way to talk generally about a new a new project. Tell us tell us a bit about Fort Burgoyne.
1: Um, well, Fort Burgoyne is. Uh, um, Probably one of Dover's hidden gems. Not many people, even people who live in Dover, probably don't know much about Fort Burgoyne. But it's um, up by the castle. Most people who know Dover Castle. And the fort um, sits just behind
0: Fort Burgoyne. That's right. Um, Wasn't it built for sort of rear guard action? (laughs) Rear guard action, yeah.
1: yeah. And um, it has, like a lot of historic buildings, lost its reason for being. And, um, well, over the next year... We hope. hope that we'll be part of a team that will bring it back to life and give it a new reason for being and make it an exciting new part of Dover.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a fabulous place. Be, it's... Before we get too specific about mm. it before, though,
1: um, I wanted to ask you what what Dover means to you and what your kind of, What's your first memory of Dover?
0: Well, as a kid as a kid coming off the uh, ferry to Dover and getting on the ferry from Dover was always exciting. Um and you know I've lived on the on this bit of coast for about ten years, and uh, it just seems to me that Dog has already always kind of neglected because it's got some of the best jewels in the crown. You know, it's got a world class castle and all that stuff.
1: Well, it's amazing, and we'll, and we'll get on to that that basket of goodies yeah. that has got. I mean, when I can remember, I was I'm an Essex boy, and I can remember coming through. Uh, through Dover, going on to holidays, camping holidays in Italy, which is always very exciting, yeah. and looking up at the white cliffs because it was always in the middle of the night when you were getting on the ferry mm. and waking up in the car, looking up at the white cliffs of Dover, and them being orange because they were you know, <laughs> they were just they were just flooded with sodium light from the from the street lighting, so the yeah. orange cliffs. Of no, there's a gritty
0: romance about the place, isn't there? I've always thought it's yeah, yeah. a dramatic place. Yeah, it is very dramatic. Um, very dramatic. And, you know, having lived on this bit of coast for a while, I, I and you know, like a lot of middle-aged media people, the landscape of the media changed around me, and I kind of got more involved in things locally and got involved in regeneration at the Astor Theatre and Deal, and then I helped do a few fundraisers for Dreamland and Margate when they were going through their regenerative phase, and so you know, Dover seems like a great place. To start,
1: as you as you said at the um, at the what I believe they call the top of the show, right? In, is that's that right? right. In the media, that's right. Media best media? Mate. I'm learning. Yeah. I'm learning. Um, what what you said about writing ba- Basil Brush's gags? Oh yeah. was quite funny. But um, well,
0: you've some thought, of them were <laughs> <laughs> boom, boom. As long as you put a boom, boom on the end, you write the worst joke in the world put a boom, bum, and it kind of sells it. <laughs> but you were telling me
1: a nice story the other day about when you were um, you were <laughs> dancing with Kylie Minogue dressed as a maggot.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I'd forgotten that. <laughs> it, was my, uh, it was my first TV appearance. Um, I was kind of involved in performance art for a long time and making human sculptures uh, with a mate of mine. We went around the world doing it. And then I got involved in a Saturday morning kids' TV show and they were doing an item about the cruelty to maggots, a fisherman, and someone had invented a maggot vending machine where well, you keep the maggots chilled down and they go into suspended animation. And when you warm them up again, then they come alive, you stick them on the hook. So they, they wanted a maggot's point of view on, a, on this machine. So I had to build this costume, a, a, a maggot costume, with and it had a rubber glove on top and it, that became my tweaker that I was able to pull a little bit and of And where did
1: Kylie come into it?
0: Well, I was on a Saturday morning show called Motor Mouth, and they said, we've got this, this girl singing pop song at the end. She's just come over from Australia. She's on Neighbours and... So and so, uh, and it, it was Kylie singing "I should be so lucky." I think, and my job was to dance around with <laughs> with the end. <laughs> you should
1: be so lucky. Well, yeah,
0: I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kylie probably remembers it better than I do. But uh, <laughs> it was a moment. But that was my yeah. That was my first TV. That got me into telly. Yeah.
1: And we kind of we kind of met down here, didn't
0: we? Yeah. Uh, on through, the train, generally.
1: On the train, and but also through your wonderful show. Private Whittle Social Club.
0: Well, there, that's that sprung out of getting involved in the regeneration of the Aster. There was funding to do the Aster on the condition that it remained a community theatre, which it has to this day. But then you redo the theatre and then find out there's nothing to put on other than tribute acts and, and that sort of thing. Um, so in Deal at that time, I'd, I'd made friends with Smuggler's Records, a great dynamic group of young musicians, and we started putting a few music shows on there. And because I'd come out of sort of London media, I had plenty of friends to call on to come and do turns. So I thought well, cabaret night was the thing to do. Obviously, Private Whittle was um, Charles Hawtrey's character in the Carry On films, and he was a dissolute, drunk, depressed, homosexual, who was thrown out of every single pub in Deal by the time he, he sadly died. Um, so I thought he was a great, great role model for a cowboy club.
1: Did he actually live in Deal?
0: Yeah, he did. Yeah, he lived in Middle Street in Deal.
1: Okay. I mean, this whole area has, has got all sorts of um, showbiz connections, isn't yeah. it, going back to... Uh... Noel Coward and Ian Fleming, yeah, and absolutely. Peter H, HG Wells, Miriam Margulies, and you know, lots of people have had
0: places here. I, I think it's rene- renegade creatives tend to float down to the coast eventually, you know, maybe, maybe when they're a little bit past their best, yeah, yeah. Not, 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 not us, of course, <laughs> no, of course, yeah. not no, no, you're in your prime, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but uh, coming back to Private Whittle, yeah, I mean, for me to 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 I didn't know you then, but to to discover that not long after I'd moved down here myself, was just to kind of... Re- it was like a lovely little present. It, a, it, it, a,
0: a green shoot of recovery or something. Yeah, it was just... Um, <laughs> a little, and, little ray of sunshine.
1: Uniquely Deal.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Deal's an eccentric town, and I think, as you rightly point out, these towns have always sort of drawn their fair share of eccentrics. And, and you know, Deal was uh, probably like Dover. It was a sort of smuggling town. And of course, the navy were there, the marines were there, and, and again, over you know that that contrast. there's more pubs. I think there was a pub for every day of the year in Deals, something like that. But that kind of feel is still in the DNA down here. You know, this, that people only stopped smuggling a couple of years ago because the duty free thing went.
1: <laughs> but it's amazing to think that, as you say, the marines used to be based down here, and it used to be. Am uh, I right in thinking the entire Royal Fleet of Britain used to be? Moored off of Deal in in the natural harbour behind the Goodwin Sands. Yeah, when the threat was from France. Yeah. that was where the entire fleet sat. So you can imagine the towing and furrowing from these ships to the town back and forth. Absolutely, it must yeah. have
0: been an, an incredible place. And, well, licentious. I think <laughs> there was blood running in every gutter. You know, it was, uh, yeah. Nelson's Navy. It was big Deal was built to service Nelson's Navy. If it, if it wasn't a pub, it was a brothel. Yeah, and uh, there's still that feel about the town. <laughs>
1: So so how do we get to where we are now? So you and I...
0: We started talking on the train, didn't we? And you, you live in Dover, well, St Margaret's, and uh, you'd started, we started talking about Dover and what, what could be done for it. And this is a few years ago, isn't it? And, you know, I was very um, convinced that, you know, with small changes like in Deal or you know, Margate, you know, two or three individuals with the right intentions can make quite a big difference to a town.
1: I mean what we've found since we've been scratching around mm. as kind of outsiders really is there are so many people doing amazing things in Dover, but for whatever reason they're they're not um they're not having a kind of generally not getting the impact in terms of raising Dover's profile mm. and improving quality of life in Dover that you would expect it to have because, as I say, the quality of the stuff that's happening around word isn't really getting out so For me, knowing the way that you work, you're very good at promoting and and getting the word out, um, I hope that one of the things that we might be able to do is slightly broaden the audience for Dover and maybe put what's happening on in Dover in front of a slightly different audience.
0: Well, I think that's the thing. I think there are things going on, but as you say, there's no focus currently, and I think that's why Fort Burgoyne itself as a site is a a very um, timely thing because there's the opportunity here to pull lots of things together in Dover and give it a bright new future because really there's a sort of lack of self-esteem that Dover has and that's for various reasons and you know economics and and uh, demographics but um when we have done things in Dover you see that the Dvorians are, are really keen for things to happen here you know they they will go out and they will spend money and they're proud of their town
1: and for whatever reason, we feel particularly passionate about Dover. I mean, you know, no, neither of us are from Dover, but this is kind of what got us together in the first place, I suppose, this feeling that Dover could be so magnificent on a wor- world stage um, and um, it's got so much going for it already and yet it is in the position it's currently in.
0: Yes, and I mean, you know, politically, it's an odd time to be in a town that's the gateway to England, um, for obvious reasons. You know, we're not going to mention the B word, are we? But, but, you know, there are towns around the world. So, you know, for instance, Malaga used to just be a gate to the Costa del Sol and that's undergone massive changes. And just with some good restaurants and art galleries, you know, it's really changed the town into a destination place. And I think that could happen here.
1: One of the things we've we've talked about... um, is this idea of Dover being the front door to the country and the front door to England, front door to the UK? And it has been forever. I mean, that's where people have been arriving since before time. So, as you say, we are in politically interesting times. And I think um, Do- what's happening in, Do- in Dover is almost like a microcosm of what's happening in the UK. Uh, yeah. We're in search of a new identity. Yes. What does new Britishness mean? What will new Dover look like? Um, And this theme of arrival and welcome is something that hopefully over this series we'll be talking to people about and investigating a
0: bit. Dover calling.
1: Well, that's Peter quite rightly reminding us to say thank you to our sponsors for today's podcast who are Pioneering Places East Kent. Um, This is a scheme which is jointly funded by the Heritage Lottery Fund and Arts Council England England, to uh, encourage Well, regeneration, really, through the creative, through creativity, through arts and culture. um, And they sponsor various organisations to work together to bring about change through creative thinking, really.
0: So, John, fascinating as we are, that's probably enough about us. Um, I guess if people have tuned in to listen to this, then they want to find out about Fort Burgoyne. So tell us about the fort.
1: Built in 1860, called a Palmerston Fort, because it was built when Palmerston was the... uh, Prime Minister and yeah. commissioned all these forts um, and uh, the fort itself is a bit that we've been brought in to look at in terms of kind of reimagining the future for the fort and specifically with, with the idea of uh, using art and culture to, to, to create part of that future vision uh, and to create a new type of community up there sort of creative community okay
0: so as i understand it where well, the thought was it was surrounded by barrack houses which have now been flattened if we we can't see it out of the window behind us but i know behind us there's sort of flattened ground scorched <laughs> earth where the barrack houses were and
1: that's the bit that will be uh, that has been zoned for redevelopment that's redevelopment so, so okay. where all, all the sort of low value barrack buildings yeah. were yeah um and anybody driving past the castle, up Castle Hill in Dover um, and then going on towards Guston will see that big big uh, expanse of sort of rubble. Yes, yeah, <laughs> because we're, we're,
0: we're right in the shadow of Dover Castle itself, aren't we? I mean, it's less than half a mile. I think it's two minutes walk from here. Well,
1: and the fort was built where it was bought, uh, built because it's got amazing views all around, as yeah. you say, you know, to, 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 to guard against attack from the north, from Deal. Yes. God knows, we need to be protected from attack, from deal at all times. <laughs> still, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you know, the views are still there; they're still magnificent. You look out of the channel, you look over uh, Dover, the beautiful valley, and you look over the castle. So it's it's magnificent. And on that uh, site of where the where the demolitions take place place will be a number of uh, new homes built, which I think is an exciting uh, opportunity as well because whatever happens on that site, on yeah. that new housing site, will kind of tie into what happens at the fort. And I'd like to think one will add value to the other. Um there there aren't many houses out there at the moment. There's an existing uh, XMOD community for Guston Heights. Yeah. But other than that, there's not many houses. So it's not really known as a residential. No, it's location. never
0: been never been a residential area, I guess, Absolutely. apart from the few people who lived in the castle.
1: So. so it's a kind of blank canvas yeah. with this beautiful historic gem in the middle.
0: Right. Um and I mean You've been involved in projects like this before, haven't you? Going to sort of rundown towns in the north of England, particularly, and kind of turning around, you know, where they've sort of lost their industrial path. Yeah. past Then turning them around. How, how did that work?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I, um, I live near um, near near this, this Fort, Fort Burgoyne, um, and uh, I've spent the last, I guess, twenty years of my career being involved in regeneration, as you say, in the northeast, mm. um, in Middlesbrough and in Darlington, um, and. Those towns have, like so many towns in Britain, have kind of lost their original reason for being. Um, You know, I mean, Middlesbrough in particular was an industrial town. Um, And whilst it still has some industry, it's lost an awful lot of its industry. And I think Middlesbrough over the last 15 years has made an amazing job at kind of reinventing itself. You go to Middlesbrough now and, you know, it's a thriving university town. There are lots of businesses there who have moved to Middlesbrough because they want to be part of what's going on. And uh, it's quite funny, Middlesbrough's been one of those towns, I think like Dover, where sort of Kirsty and Phil, you know, pointed it and say, it's officially the worst place in the UK to live. Right, yes, yeah, so quite,
0: quite often comes up on those lists, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah I, yeah, I love
1: it, because you can kind of you can, you can can deal with that in two ways. You can either sort of embrace it and have a bit of a laugh about it yeah. and show what's good about living in Dover or Middlesbrough, or you can get all you know, humpy and say, we're not coming to our town again then. But, um, I think what Middlesbrough was so clever about doing was they sort of, they, they re- reinvented themselves around this kind of slightly gritty identity. You know, yes. It's industrial identity.
0: They wove it into their new identity. Well, that could, that could be said of Dover in some ways, because we both know that Doverians are very proud of their town. And they should yet, be. Yet, they suffer from immense self-esteem. I mean, the, the town has got some of the crown jewels in terms of heritage and the, Dover Castle is world-class. Disney rented out half the year to film there.
1: I mean, it, There's a
0: Bronze Age boat, which is one of the earliest trading vessels known to humanity. These are in the town, yet Yet the town has a still a poor image of itself in many ways, don't you think?
1: Absolutely. Every town has its sort of natural assets, if you like. The things it's got, you don't have to make them up. They've already got them. And, and Dover, in my experience, is like nothing else. I mean, there is only one Dover. And there is only one set of the White Cliffs of Dover. Well, and the White Dover Cliffs of Gotham,
0: are known globally, aren't they?
1: The White Cliffs are known globally. And if you talk to anybody, uh, wherever in the world, about Dover, they've heard of it. Yeah. And uh, they've heard of it. And generally, they have a very sort of warm feeling about it. It's, it's, you, there's nothing more British than Dover. Yes. The White Cliffs of Dover, you know, that nothing more symbolically British and Dover has them. So here you
0: have a heritage fortress right on the white Cliffs of Dover, right where people come into the country. That's something to shout about, isn't it? It's just something got, to be proud about. It's also
1: got one of the most amazing ca- uh, castles in the country, um, if not the most amazing castle in the country. Um, as you say, it's got the Bronze Age boat right in the middle of town. There's a Roman villa. Yeah. You know, it's been where people have been arriving to our
0: shores... Since the Bronze Age. Since
1: before time. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, been yeah. the front door of the UK since before time. And as a result, it has the most incredible heritage and history.
0: Okay, so given that, looking at the other projects you've done where you've sort of regenerated an area where an industry has been and gone, whether it's the cotton industry or or steel or whatever, what has disappeared from Dover? What is the cause of Dover's low self-esteem, do you think?
1: It's quite hard to say. I mean, what people often say is, oh yeah Dover's great but people pass through Dover and I think this is probably something that could be said about a number of ports but I don't know about you but I mean I often hop on the ferry or the channel tunnel and I go across to Boulogne and have lunch well I did
0: when the euro was weak but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, we've kind of messed that up
1: (laughs) but you know you go to Boulogne I travel from the UK to Boulogne uh, which is a port just like Dover which is a beautiful historic town with a castle not as nice as Dover's and I go there because it's a beautiful town and it's so typically French. Yeah. And, I, you know, it's half an hour on the, yes. on, on the Channel Tunnel. So I sort of think to myself, well, why shouldn't I work the other way around? You've got not just um, the UK connected. You've got the whole of continental Europe that could be doing the same thing. Yes. And popping across the Channel to Dover. If Dover sets out its stall as a place where they are, first of all, welcome, and then when they arrive here there's spectacular stuff to do why wouldn't you come
0: so do you think currently um people from France and Germany coming through Calais or wherever else to Dover will then pass straight through Dover and go to Canterbury elsewhere is there nothing to stop them at the moment
1: I think without really digging under the surface it's very hard to see that what Dover has to offer as somebody who's just coming off the ferry um and I think you know I I know that the, there, there are a Several thousand, tens of thousands of people arrive in Dover at the um, at the the western docks. Who come in on those um, cruise ships, and the, yeah. the cruise traffic is increasing in Dover. And when those people arrive, they are looking for a typically British experience. They want it when they get off yeah. the boat. I Stage would the in, boat, their, yeah. in their situation. They come off. They see the white cliffs. and Generally, they bypass Dover. They're taken to London, or they're taken to Canterbury, mm. or they're taken directly up to the castle. So mm. they don't really get a, get to see any of the Dover Dover town. Yeah. And I think, as a as a bit of an outsider looking in, I think there's a sort of there's almost a sort of bashfulness. I don't know. Maybe they maybe. People feel that it's not good enough. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what it is.
0: Or maybe there's not a sort of broader vision. You know, maybe what we're talking about here is regeneration in um, Dover and Fort Burgoyne, but regeneration in the broader terms, how these other towns are regenerating around our coast. And, you know, as I said, there are the success stories like Hastings, the Jerwood Gallery has sort of put that on the map, as has the Turner in Margate, Deal and Whitstable have evolved because there's a quantity of housing for 2nd homeowners, and small independent retail happening in those towns. So there are models of the way this works, and they work for different reasons. With Dover, perhaps there's not been an overall vision or an individual, like in Folkestone, Roger De Hahn has put a lot of money into creating a creative quarter, but there doesn't seem to have been that kind of thing gone on in Dover, perhaps until now.
1: Well, people always point to the importance of industry in a town, mm. and they say, you know, everything else is all sort of fluff around the edges, and the real thing is about jobs and, and, and industry. And of course, that's that's true. Um, you can't have one without the other. And Dover has got, you know, some enormous companies like P and O and the and the other ferry companies, uh, and and obviously the port itself, the port of Dover, is, is an incredibly important. So drive, it's a massive employer. A for massive the area. employer. Yeah. So you cannot um, you cannot undervalue those businesses that, that are invested in Dover, but generally when we're talking about towns reinventing themselves around the u k it starts with the creative industries. I mean, it's, you know it's been seen the world over. You well, know, the and, poorest and, part of a
0: city, yeah.
1: the artists move there because they can't afford to live anywhere else. Well, the effect else. is
0: very clear in London, isn't it? In a microcosm. And in New you know, York and every yeah, major absolutely. city, I guess. You the creatives, well. the, the outcasts, the musicians, the gay community, they all go to the outskirts first and colonise industrial places, run down places, and over a period of years they, they bring a culture which brings the place up, they make places look nice. Raise the value of them, I guess, and then make them comfortable for middle classes to move into them. That's the kind of. And they put joke. on
1: they put on entertainment and events that people want yeah. to go to, and they're there to use that terrible cliche. They make it cool, and uh, the people who maybe right. aren't naturally so cool want to be associated to with that coolness. Rub, off, rub
0: off on them. Absolutely, yeah.
1: they sort of want to bask in the glow, <laughs> and you know that's just human nature. We want to be, we, you know, we want to be in with the in crowd, and uh, yeah, and and. It, it, it can be fun. To see something that was so bad becoming so good is fun. It's, it's really satisfying to be part of that.
0: Yeah, so, so your view is is this kind of regeneration. It's not, rege- not redevelopment, is it? Development is building houses on wasteland. Regeneration is taking something that's good, that's already there, and then colouring it differently, informing it, um, changing its use through art and culture
1: and the the most critical thing is i mean i know there may be people listening to this who kind of will be cringing at the words arts and culture but you know the 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 critical part of all this is that you you have to involve everybody in the process you have to truly involve everybody in the process and you have to take people with you every tiny step of the way uh, and and make sure that they are fully invested in it and that it's it's right that it works i mean sometimes you can't always make every decision de- decision by committee i'm not no, saying sure. that because obviously in order to pull something up sometimes you need to make a you need to make a sort of quantum shift in the way things are done but ultimately the end goal is to create something for everybody to right. create a new community for everybody and that will be a different community otherwise you wouldn't have changed anything
0: yes it's creating something it's it's taking something that's not there and turning it into something what's what's not to like but absolutely i guess what you're hinting at here is an inclusivity that doesn't that means that art and culture isn't divisive it doesn't alienate one group of people or one section of society
1: and and a lot of the times people don't even know that it's they're being shown art and culture you know that really is some a term that turns people off
0: well there's this awful phrase isn't there called art washing which people have yeah developers have now realized the the value of art added to development and art washing is where you know you get a mural done or you buy some expensive paintings and put them in a public place or commission one piece of work what we're talking about here goes deeper than that doesn't it is creating a new culture that then sort of gets into the the dna of a building um well
1: you asked me what what i was you know some of the stuff i've been involved with in the, in the north and one of the things that i was involved in was a project uh, called Lingfield point which was a an enormous 1950s wool factory and when it was built in the 1950s it was the biggest wool factory in the in in the world and it was uh Peyton and Baldwin some people may recognize that name their logo was a beehive and I remember in my nan's knitting basket there were loads of balls of wool with little beehives (laughs) on the label so I, I remember it as a boy anyway we we I was involved with this site um and we completely reinvented it and turned it into a a mixed community with people living there and people working there, and lots of big businesses in the end, there were four and a half thousand people working there, as many as when it was a thriving wool factory right but um, with it being in Darlington, it was quite hard to get it get raise the profile um, and uh, with um, Wayne Hemingway who, uh, Wayne and, and Geraldine Hemingway, as some people will know from the red or Dead brand they created, and uh, Stella Hall. Um, we created uh, an event called the Festival of Thrift. And the Festival of Thrift was all about showcasing the brand values of the project. It right. was about upcycling because we hadn't demolished and we hadn't uh, built any new buildings. It had been all about reusing buildings. Yeah. So upcycling, we, uh, we, we, we like to refer back to the, the, the textile heritage of the site and everything we did. So we had a knitting circle on the site. We had an artist in residence who was a textile artist um, we had allotments on site. We had beehives. So all those things were woven into the idea of, yeah. of the festival of thrift, which is about making, remaking, growing, cooking. But also
0: very on message for now, isn't it? Very on,
1: on, on message as it turned yeah. out. Well, this was in 2013. I was expecting a couple of thousand people to turn up. Uh, we had 27,000 people in the first year, and it grew to 45,000 people by the second year. And that that event, which still goes on, it's now moved to Redcar. It's taken its kind of regenerative effect with it to Redcar, and Redcar Council really wanted it to move because they saw what positive focus it brought to the town.
0: It um, goes from strength to strength. Yeah. And, and as you were saying, this appeals to a wide demographic.
1: Absolutely, yeah. and it is, it is quite honestly an art festival
0: but but, but it's no, art, I art being sold stealthily not many people
1: yeah. going would ever Good. say i've just been to an art festival they'd say Well, that's fantastic i laughed all day you know and i had some great food and i learned to you know cook a cook a um, a, a cake on an open fire or you know I, I i built a den with my son or whatever but they wouldn't say i was made to look at art even right. though they were looking at and participating in art all day. Yes, that to me is the best kind of art and culture.
0: Yeah, well, art can be events, can't it? It doesn't have to be objects or pictures. It's Absolutely. events. I mean, given that, is that kind of what you have in mind for Fort Burgoyne? Any ev- events that will take that form? It
1: might involve some events, I suppose. Um, but um, well, we've been involved. We've been commissioned as part of Albin, haven't we? To to run the year of engagement, which will kind of um, involve all sorts of things, getting people excited, yeah. putting the, putting the uh, thought
0: on well, the map. Raising awareness, I suppose, and I guess we're not going to be prescriptive about events, are we? We're looking at what people... Would like to see at a place like this, whether that's yeah. music or um, ecological stuff. Um, no, it's
1: creating a buzz, isn't it? Creating and, a buzz. Uh, we, we've, we've also talked about creating, getting together a really exciting group of people um, ambassadors for the four. Yeah, through those ambassadors, uh, spreading the message out
0: to their audience. That's right. I think between us, you know, even within a range of fifteen miles or so, we've got a good network of friends and associates working in art, in culture, in commerce. Who can all bring their sort of individual eye to the fort, with a, with a view to kick-starting this sort of new culture there?
1: Yeah. So, in, in kind of in kind of summary to your question about events, yeah, there might be events, and I think events might be very appropriate. But really, what we're looking at is the the, the future vision for the fort, um, which we hope will be a whole new, a cool, creative community that might involve. Studio space, work, business space, bit of retail, some pop ups, some events. So, a whole new community, a whole new asset for Dover.
0: Absolutely. And uh, I mean, while we're we on the subject of that, the music you heard at the top of the show, locally produced, Cocos Lovers, a local band on Smugglers Record label.
1: So, that brings us to next week. Who are we going to be seeing? We're going to be seeing Charles Holland, the architect Charles Holland. Yep. Um, I guess one of the things he's best known for is working with the artist Grayson Perry. Oh, the um, house, house for Essex, House yes. for Essex. Yeah. Um, and we're be- with, with Charles, we'll be talking to Joanna Jones of DAD, Dover Arts Development, about their project, which is ongoing, uh, The Explorers, a series of walks, which all of which uh, are each is led by an expert on a particular subject, and all of which end up at Fort Burgoyne.
0: Specifically on the West Wing, isn't it? There's a West Wing project which is kind of kick-starting the whole beginning of events at Fort Pergogne.
1: Well, Peter, I guess that brings us to the end of the show. Um, Just one more thing, just another opportunity to thank our sponsors today, uh, Pioneering Places East Kent, which is a scheme jointly funded by the Heritage Lottery Fund and Arts Council England, so thank you to you. And also the Land Trust, the charity who own fort burgoyne yeah okay well thanks again for listening you've made it all the way through our first podcast thank you congratulations peter well, well, well done you um if you'd like to stay in touch with what's going on at the fort um click on thelandtrust.org.uk uk uh, for the land trust site or for our site at albion go to uh www. Albion Incorporated, that's A L B I O N, incorporated.com.
0: And of course, you can follow us on Facebook, Albion Incorporated, and also on Instagram.
1: Okay, thanks for listening. See you next time.